Welcome to The Ledger Show. Hello, everybody. This is your host, Christian. And today we have Katya. Katya, welcome to the show. Nice to meet you. Nice to see you. My pleasure. So before jumping into today's topic, can you give us a quick intro about yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name is Katja Hack. I live in Augsburg. I work in Munich and I'm working in a big four end company. And I used to work in text teams, so in actual companies. And I switched to consulting over a year ago. And I do indirect text technology projects. That's my main task. I come from a text background and now I try to be the middle between IT teams and text teams. Okay, that's super interesting. For for people that don't know about indirect text, like what we are talking about. So indirect text is pretty much VAT. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I mean, there's a lot, a lot more to it. I think if you're in the European area, it, it was, everyone defines it with VAT. There's other things like beer taxes and stuff like that. But I would say the main focus, of course, is always VAT. Then if you go to a broader picture, then you have GST, you have sales tax, if you go to US, and then in a lot of other countries, there's different names for it. But I would say in general, everything around VAT. Okay. You mentioned that you work at the intersection between IT and finance teams. Where does that come from? It, it's because it's so complex sometimes to manage indirect tax that you need to work closely with the IT teams and with the finance team to get it right. Yeah, so well, indirect taxes, I mean, it's taxes. So often the background of people is a legal background, the mm -hmm. people that studied law, people that are really from an economic background, like myself, actually, I studied tax law. And, but IT is, I mean, VAT is everywhere in IT. So in all ERP systems, it's everywhere. So, and like, I mean, maybe we talk about this later, but for example, if you have any invoice that comes out, there's tax on it. And that needs to be, get on that invoice somehow. And of course, there's a legal framework around it telling you which text to put on there, but somebody needs to get it on there. So I think getting like translating the law into putting it into actual ERP systems. And I think that's kind of in a very, very high level explaining why there there's a, like a middle person in between that. And I think, yeah, it, it, you need to be able to talk to IT people because IT people speak a different language than text people. And kind of communicating between those two worlds is, I think, what's, what the challenge is sometimes. Okay. So let, let's say, as an example, I, I don't know, maybe you're working on a digital transformation project and you're trying to bring in an ERP system. And how do you approach this from like the indirect tax technology? Like there is a lot of configuration involved. How, how does it work? It depends on the ERP system. It depends how big the entity is, of course. I mean, if you have a small entity, it's it's simple. But if you have a big, like, international corporation and you imagine indirect tax is from, I don't know, logistics to sales to purchasing to actual the financing and accounting, indirect tax topics are everywhere. So having someone as a tax person, like a tax team on your side supporting you with that, I think it's important to know where it is. So you always have to know the legal framework, you need to understand what the VAT law says in the jurisdiction you're working in, but you need to be able to see the bigger picture, like where it plays a role and how it ends up. So it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not enough to know, okay, on an invoice, you need to be able to say in, in Germany, for example, 19% VAT, you need to understand how it works in the IT system. So, I mean, I don't know how to approach it is 
just understanding both sides. I think that's the that's the first step that you need to understand the IT system. You don't need to be like a programmer or developer knowing mm -hmm. every little detail, but in an ERP system, you really need to know where it could have an effect and who to ask. I hope that answers the question. Yes, yes. So you have a system, a pretty expensive system, which is the ERP. Why, why do you need to configure all this the tax rates? Like what is the end goal at the end? Do proper reporting or? End goal, I would say, if you, if you ask a tax team, is to be compliant. I would say that's like the biggest mantra that tax teams say, we have to be compliant and we do everything to be compliant. So if you look at, for example, you have an invoice, you have an in inbound invoice, somebody is sending you an invoice and you can deduct input VAT. Um, and of course you can have an accountant looking at the invoice saying, okay, here's 19% of the invoice. I post with that certain tax code. But somehow that text code and that that input VAT you want to deduct in your VAT return on a month and somehow that needs to end up in your VAT return. And of course you don't want to collect all the invoices, create an Excel sheet, write all the different text amounts in there, add them up at the end and then take that sum and put it into your VAT return. An ERP system should be doing that automatically for you. So, I mean, that's, and then you could even like extend it that an accountant doesn't even need to look at it, but the ERP system says, okay, here's an invoice. I know what to do with it. That's like automating it then even further. But I think the first step is really getting it in there. And the, the end goal is being compliant and submitting a VAT return that has all, that fulfills all legal requirements. And you're not deducting too much input VAT or you're not paying enough VAT, for example. I think that's the main goal. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. I guess one of the biggest problems that you have with indirect tax is how you're going to determine the right tax rate that you're going to apply. I, I know that in Europe can be especially challenging, especially if you work and let's call it like software as a service or anything that is digital. How can like a tax expert help with this? So um, I'm, not, I'm not even looking to the special things like software as a service or transportation. I, I listened to your podcast with Maria with Flixbus, that's like super complicated, of course. But if you look at even just regular sales, if you're selling, I don't know, paper from your paper company, you sell paper, even starting with that, then you sell to an EU customer that's intercommunity supply. So it's without VAT. You sell to a German customer that's with 19% VAT. Then you sell to, I don't know, somebody in the US that's also no VAT, but it's a different no VAT because you need to report it in a different box in your VAT return. So determining that at the beginning and not having to look at every single invoice, okay, who's my customer? Can, how do I invoice this? What text do I put on there? And kind of having a text determination logic in your ERP system that it knows, okay, this is my customer. This is what I'm selling. This is the, the whole logic behind it and building that into your ERP system that at least from an a sales perspective, everything works more or less automatically. That should be the goal, right? To kind kind of have a tax determination in your ERP system. Every ERP system works a little differently, but in general, that's always the goal. You have different different scenarios, and you need to make sure that you have the correct tax on your invoice at the end, and then report it correctly in your VAT return. So usually from the ERP perspective, do we have a tax engine inside? So you can specify a set of rules and then the ERP is going to follow this or you need to have an external system? Well, both it kind of depends how complex your business is, I would say. So you can customize. I mean, if you look at like SAP or something, which is like one of the biggest ones, there's ways of customizing it and doing it internally. You 
can add text engines because at some point cu customizing your ERP system gets complex. So text engines, external text engines, or integrating into your ERP system, external tools, there's different ways of going at it, I would say, as an entity, as a company, it also, you need to see how much can you handle internally? How much do you have someone supporting you? And I think the question is always the complexity. Of course, you could build it by yourself. I mean, I know and companies that do that, that they build their own tax engine kind of thing in, to figure out all their taxes. But of course, for I would say at least the standard things, like the example I said, I'm selling paper, which is just a normal material. It's not something super crazy like transportation or stuff like that. For those cases, there are like standard tools available where you can determine your taxes and have a tax determination in the ERP. I mean, it should theoretically be possible in the ERP tool, depending how big of a tool you bought and how much money you're investing in it, I would say. Because it could be cheaper to get an external tool than having all the customizing and doing all the add-ons or whatever from that ERP system you have. Interesting. You mentioned being compliant before. How hard it is to be compliant, for example, when you work in multiple countries? Depends what countries, I would say. I mean, being and how how important it is in a, in a company. I would say if you have people in your company that are saying, okay, compliance is my number one like thing I want to follow, and you have a CFO or somebody who says, okay, this is really, really important, you have different resources available. If you say, have someone says, okay, I don't care about taxes, just leave me alone, it has to work, that makes it difficult for a tax team, of course, because they're saying, okay, hey, we want to be compliant, and I would say, People who study tax or work in taxes, they're very correct. Like they want to do everything very correctly. So I think being compliant is difficult, definitely, especially with growing regulations. I mean, it's not getting easier. It's getting more real-time reporting, getting, I mean, if you look at Poland, for example, it's crazy. I mean, you, they, 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 you have big fines if you don't follow everything. You have advisors who try to support you, but even they're, they're fighting with fines. And so I think... It depends, on, I would really say it depends on the countries because there's countries where it's super easy, but that's like the actual reporting obligations. Even if the reporting obligations are super easy, I would say, I mean, Germany, I would say they're not too complex or France or whatever, they're, they're not too complex, but even getting those in there, like getting it through your ERP system to make sure, how can you be sure as a tax team that everything that's in my VAT return is correct? You need to depend on tax determination termination logic in your ERP system. You need to depend on accounting teams that they post everything correctly because obviously you can't at the end of the month say, I will look at every invoice that was posted this month because then you would need a tax team with like 200 people. So I think it's kind of the work in a tax team is always beforehand, before reporting, because mm -hmm. getting the reporting obligations is annoying, but you need to really depend on everyone else in your company beforehand to get it in there correctly. Do you think that technology is, is really helping or is it just such a low level right now? Because, I mean, everyone is, is dreaming about, I don't know, fully automated accounting and tax declaration, but it feels like we are far from there. That's a good question. I think it can help to a certain degree. I mean, I think there's always, you always need to have smart people understanding the technology, first of all. And you need to have smart people understanding how to check if it's working, like not even understand it, but to kind of like monitoring tools to kind of 
even have like cross checks. I look at three invoices every month and then I see one is wrong. Why is it wrong? And being able to understand why it's wrong, to understand why my accounting technology, whatever, did something incorrectly. And I think that's also a huge, I mean, there's a change. You can tell that people in, I mean, I know a lot of people in, in working in indirect taxes in companies, understanding technology and being like having this IT background or IT know-how to some certain high level degree is like a prerequisite for these positions. Because if you can't understand it and you can't talk to your IT team, you can't talk to an ERP team, and you're like, oh, I don't know, I know what it says in the law, but I don't know if it's working. It's not going to work. If you, technology, I think it, it does help. But having everything fully automated is like wishful thinking, I think. There's always going to be things that aren't going to be perfect and aren't going to be able to be automated. But I think, and you can see in tax teams, they're getting smaller and accounting teams are getting smaller because you have, and not just because they're shared services centers abroad somewhere, but because actually you are starting to get things more automated. But I think you do see like ERP teams growing, financial IT teams growing and like FinTech stuff, you know, everything like all that is that's growing while the people are getting less in tax teams and accounting teams. And I've seen companies, tax teams being like completely reduced to one person, but that doesn't stick very long. That that lasts maybe two, three years, and then they get to start hiring again because you still need to have the know-how behind everything. And same for accounting teams, for all finance teams, I would say. You need to know have the know-how, but it's more the experts than the actual people doing the daily work, I would say. Do you think people are putting too much trust in inside just tools that they promise that it's going to be they're going to be fully automated, or it's just to decrease code? I think people in general, I don't think people are putting too much trust in it. I think people are putting too much trust in it if they don't know. People are saying, "Oh, somebody's promising something." You have some nice. Maybe not startup anymore, but small companies saying, hey, I'm promising you whatever to do in your text finance streams and take some part of that. But if you don't understand it and you try to, yeah, I think then they, people start putting trust into it and saying, yeah, okay, this is all fixed by this one tool. But I think it's not out of the text teams because I think those are text people are always very cautious and mm -hmm. maybe not that, I mean, that's not the case, but I think. On a higher level, people are saying, okay, come on, automate this. This should be automated. I heard this in whatever. I read this. I saw this in some webcast, whatever needs to be automated, that the, like other areas are putting more trust into it than actual text teams. Because I think, yeah, like I said, text people are cautious and are realize the current changes. I mean, if you look at how many changes we had to text law compared to, I don't know, whatever other law, German text law changes like constantly. And not even in Germany only, but in... Everywhere. I mean, everywhere they're changing all the time. If you just get a link, like have a newsletter stuff to some, I don't know, big four company or whatever, you get changes like constantly in, in text law. So I think you shouldn't put too much trust in it. And I, but I don't think that's a problem in the, sorry, I don't think it's a problem in the text world. Okay. Personal opinion. So <laughs> yeah, because you mentioned this. So, okay. Just to recap, so for sure you need software and you need some automation, but you still need expert because yeah, software will just help you until a certain point. Like you cannot fully automate your, I don't know, indirect task determination, for example. And another thing that you mentioned is the 
the, the speed at which the regulation change. For example, I was thinking, okay, I'm, I'm, let's say I, have, I am an e-commerce owner and I want to work across the entire Europe. So I want to sell everywhere. And then I, the thing itself becomes pretty crazy. Like I need to be compliant in every country. I need to check my VAT threshold in every country. I think that right now you can do a single declaration for VAT things. Or it depends after it a depends, certain threshold. It depends, but yes. Yeah. So it, it's really a lot of effort. And the only thing that I want to do is just to sell stuff. So I'm, I'm curious about whether they are a good solution for companies to fix this. Whether you see interesting trend, for example, the European Union trying to simplify this, and we're talking specifically about the European Union right now. Well, I think the European Union is trying to simplify it. I know there's a lot of people talking to the EU experts and discussing what what could be possible to kind of not have to be able not have to register in every country, right? So it's like even the first step, not even having to submit it or paying taxes or whatever, but even the obligation to have to start and submit everywhere. So so we have like. And we have this one-stop shop, right? This OSS where you have, you even have solutions of people having IT tools to support you to be able to, like if you're selling via like Amazon or something, to be able to submit and be compliant everywhere. So you have people helping you with that. And I think there's a lot of trends towards that because it's so fast. I mean, you get Amazon Marketplace and there's like a million people doing that. And of course there's a market for those people being compliant and not being, I mean, like you said, they just want to sell. They don't want to spell, spend thousands, millions of euros on tax compliance. But mm -hmm. I think it's something people need to be careful of, that if you're starting business internationally, that you do have certain obligations and you do need to be ready to be compliant and um, pay people to for you to be compliant. I mean, even if you have a software provider that supports you, they're going to want money, even if it's not that much. If you go to like, I don't know, a big four company that had, does all your compliance for you, that doesn't even have to be the case. But I think it's, it's not definitely not easy. Yeah, I was, I was trying to, you know, learn about this and see how companies can do this right now. And for sure, there are a lot of software platforms that you can use, but still the complexity and is such a fast moving environment, like. Every day or every week you have, I don't know, a new sort of declaration or a new, I don't know, a new proposal from the European Union to try to simplify this or add more digitalization, let's call it in this way. So, but there are always more documents to send out, basically. Yeah, it's not getting less. I mean, the goal is of every country right now to be, to start more of this like real-time reporting, right? You see it in in Spain, in Hungary, in all those countries where they're really starting to have every invoice you're sending or every transaction you have to send to tax authorities on that date, at that minute, in within the next four days, whatever, it depends on the country. I mean, I would say countries like Germany or in the Nordics, they're still like very slow with that, which is good for those countries. I mean, for the people doing taxes in those countries, but in other countries, you have to report like immediately pretty much everything. And that makes it super difficult to also set up your ERP tool for I mean, if you have any, if, if, and if you're working in a small e-commerce business, you might have like a service provider supporting you with all this. But even then, if you say you have to, if, if we say you send every invoice, you have to send every invoice to tax authorities. Even if you have a service provider, you need to send that tax service, that invoice to your service provider. 
So you still need to have like an API somewhere that for somebody to be able to fulfill your obligations. And then that's again, I mean, if you don't have a text team, for example, I mean, small companies, they don't hire three people doing all their texts. You have yep. some text advisor and the text advisor needs to know that. And then the text advisor says, Hey, okay, I'm specialized in France. And then there's like, yeah, okay, but I'm selling in Poland. Okay. Then you need to hire somebody for Poland. Then you need to hire, and then you end up having like 10 different text experts and kind of, so it, it just makes it super, super complex. And that's why you see a lot of actually for small business, I mean, small, smaller businesses already text experts being hired or really like these firms, which are acting globally. Like if you look at, I don't know, like, Abanara, I mean, they, they, right. They try to handle a lot of countries and they, what tax rates to do and get information out there and having companies like that, trying to support you more in a global network is probably the way forward and because you're you can't handle everything and it's not I don't, I mean, how many companies nowadays actually say okay i'm only doing business in germany and i'm definitely not selling to anybody else ever i mean that doesn't happen anymore i mean it, with globalization trends it's even if you stay within europe that's already like some restriction because you can't sometimes you can some I mean, if you're in a B, b2c business i would say it's easier because then you have different regulations. But as soon as you start doing B2B business, it gets super complex. Because then, okay. for example, sorry, yeah. Now, so you would say the B2B is more complex than B2C? I'm probably, probably some people are gonna shake their heads and say definitely not, B2C is a lot more difficult. But on a B2B level, you often have the case that your recipient, whatever you're sending them, the goods and the invoice especially, they need to do something with it as well. So. If, if you look at, for example, even Italy, they have a, well, in Germany, for example, we only have a sales list. If you sell to EU countries, you need to report it on a monthly basis in a sales list. If you go to Italy, you need to also report your purchases. Meaning, what, if you're selling to somebody in Italy, what you're selling them, they need to report it in their purchase list. At very high level only, not like crazy if you go to real-time reporting countries, but they need to report something on their purchase side. So if you have a B2C customer in Italy, they don't care. They don't care what the invoice looks like. They don't care if you meet your all your reporting obligations, if you're, if the invoice is correct, the tax determination is correct. They just want to pay and they want whatever you're selling them. But on a B2B level, you always have a recipient who also cares about what you're doing on the finance tax side. So I think that makes it a lot more complicated. Okay, that's interesting. I didn't think about the other side, like the one receiving the invoices. And what's, what's your take on this real-time declaration? If, if, for example, you mentioned Italy, so they have electronic invoice there. So that, that's one of the things that, one way in which they were selling it at the beginning. So you're going to do e-invoice and then, well, we're going to get the VAT directly from your invoices. So yeah. ideally for the so end user, a, everything is going to be more, more, more simple. So from that... From a, like a legal perspective, I understand this real time and e-invoicing and everything being like tracking everything more because tax evasion in the VAT and VAT is I mean, it's a big topic, right? Why would anybody ever do this except to make sure that they're like a government is only doing this to make sure they get all their taxes and taxes are being paid correctly. I mean, that's the only reason why else go to all this hassle. And that, from that point of view, I think it makes total sense because you're just controlling what everybody's doing a lot more. So you're making sure you're getting all your taxes as a government. From a tax team perspective, 
totally annoying because you have to be compliant all the time and you have to just meet more requirements than before. And then everyone else, your company says, Hey, you're still texting. Come on. You got three people. It has to be enough. And you're like, yeah, but come on real time reporting in wherever. And no one really cares. <laughs> you have to still manage it somehow. And from, I don't know. So I think from a, and from a BRP point of view, really difficult because with it's changing so fast, you have to make sure that all the ERP systems can catch up. And that's why I mean, you can see tech, tech startups shooting out of the ground to kind of fulfill those regulations to be able to say, okay, you can't do it that fast, but hey, I got like a, you just, you have to have an API to me and send me all your data and I'll fix it for you, which is perfect. I mean, it's like, I totally understand why people would use that because it simplifies it on like the company side. You just send the data to someone and they take care of it for you. So, and then at the end, you have the goal of being compliant, right? That's always the end goal to be compliant. And I think it makes sense. I understand the reasoning behind it, but the speed in some countries is, is crazy. I mean, like in Germany, it's very slow because everyone's okay. You get prepared, you know, when it's coming, you know, whatever. But I, I know, I don't know, I don't know if it was Hungary or. And sometimes it's like, okay, hey, so tomorrow, you feel, feels like tomorrow for a company, we start doing this. And the grace periods are not so long. I mean, COVID actually helped in that case because a lot of the periods got, got extended for a lot of things. Okay, e-invoicing, we're pushing it back because of COVID and everything's so complicated. So there was one benefit of it, <laughs> probably the only one, but, but every, everything else, it's like, it's just fast. It's fast and it's hard to keep up with. Interesting. I guess like you mentioned before, like tax expert, they will need to work much closer with IT teams to get all the system prepared beforehand and have a system that was fully, fully working. Yeah. So I, I always take the example of now going back to Germany because that's, that's where I live. But we had in COVID, we had this thing where all of a sudden within like two weeks, everyone had to change from 19 to 16% for only six months though. So it was like, we knew for six months, we're, we're going from 19% VAT to 16% VAT and from seven to five, but not so important. And everyone in Germany was going crazy because, okay, so hey, we have like these couple of weeks to change everything. And I mean, it's easy if you have like a cash, you know, if you have the cash register, you're, you're at a grocery store and you know, hey, okay, my cucumber costs is 7%, now it's 5% and you just change it in your, in your system. But if you have, for example, a huge like, SAP system in the background and you have to change for all your goods and you have to make sure it's through the whole chain in there. And then I think for so many tax teams, it was like the awakening call, like, okay, now I know where all my taxes are because I was in a tax team at the time as well. And so not in consulting, but in a tax team, all of a sudden we were noticing who was writing invoices. We didn't even know where some of the invoices were coming from because they weren't from our regular ERP system. They were some other system. And it was like, okay, so here we have 16%. All of a sudden you used to have an invoice 19% again in your account here. Like, okay, where is this coming from? And so you, you start learning who is actually issuing invoices and where are they coming from and how are they getting into our accounting? And you get to know your IT landscape all of a sudden. It's like this, yeah, it's like a big awakening, but you, it, it was so, so fast. Um, yeah, I think, and now I don't remember what your initial question was and I trailed off, but yeah, I hope I answered it. No, no, no. I mean, the, the question was exactly this one, like, like, how do you approach as a tax expert now that 
everything is going to be digitalized. So tax declaration is going to be digital, invoice, you're going to get e-invoice. Like, it really looks like you, the, the work that you need to do is not after, but before. Like, okay, how do we implement all these things correctly? How do we set up, like, tax rates correctly? How do we build a system that is flexible, that in six months we need to change something, it's going to work. And we, we don't need to stop the company for a month to make this happen. Yeah. And I mean, then you have, I mean, the goal is right to like that. What every head of tax would like to see is you push a button at the end of the month and you get a final of that return. And your VAT return has everything in it. Everything's perfect. And you don't need to start saying, okay, but here I have a timing difference. Here I have this. Now I'm making, making a manual correction here, which I would say, I mean, if any, any big company has this, they push a button and a perfect VAT return comes out. That's awesome. I mean, I think then they're, they're pretty far already because I think having some kind of change, even if it's like the wage tax, something you need to add in there every month or some manual calculation, even if it's like two euros you change, but that's right. That, that, like that's the, that would be the perfect world. I push the button at the end of the month. My whole ARP system is fine. If I have a change in the tax rate, it automatically gets pulled through all the different systems and I don't have to do anything. I mean, but that's so far from reality that it's, I mean, I think a lot of the problems are already fixed, but there's mm -hmm. always small construction sites. So you, you still have somewhere to, which need to be fixed. Okay. But now I have a tricky question. So you, you mentioned that the holy grail is to have a, a button that you press and you get a tax return because you're a consultant all the project where you being part of how many of the project ended up in this way where you get the button and then it works. No, not that many, <laughs> but it's not, because, but it's be, because usually it's, it's, I mean, always the same mistakes, right? Like master data, master data is a, is a huge topic in indirect text. I mean, everyone who will listen to this and is a head of text will probably laugh now because everyone's like, okay, master data, master data, master data. That's where everything starts. And it's like one of the most important things ever, but usually a text team has no stake in master data, right? So no master data team in a big company will ever ask, hey, text team, so what do you think? What should we do? Because the text team is gonna have different answers than all the other teams probably. And starting with a VAT identification number you need to have in your master data. If you're adding something, I mean, that's like one of the basics, which hopefully most companies have figured out by now, but there's even small things that need to be work at the beginning to make sure that your tax determination and everything works. So if something doesn't work, you it's it's often that something there is messed up already and that's not something tax teams can often change. So I mean one one extreme example is you have in most countries you have like a special region where the tax is different. Like if you go to Italy like with Vatican City it's different or if you go to Germany we have like Helgoland where it's different. So you have a country and then they say, okay, I'm selling from France to Germany or, but then you may be selling to, or let's say France to Italy, but not Italy, but so Vatican city in Italy for some reason. So on your, on, in, it should be first with Italy, but then you need to make some special changes and make sure that whoever is adding this data doesn't say it's Italy, but it, that it's a special region and your ERP system needs to find that. And so the whole tax determination logic is decided at some beginning when somebody's selling something. So the actual 
salesperson, the person who's in sales is kind of already gathering the master data, which is important at the very end in your text return. And that's always the bad thing about people in text teams. They're always at the end. You're always the person at the end trying to fix everything that everyone does at the beginning. And that's super difficult because you need to know where it's coming from. And a lot of people don't. A lot of text teams don't know where all my data is coming from because they think it's from accounting. But then you say, okay, but accounting says, hey, this is automatically posted from sales system or from purchasing system. And so, and then fighting, like you're fighting at the end when everything's gone wrong already, you're, you're then complaining and starting at the beginning again. And that's really, it's really frustrating. I know that, but it's important. <laughs> you, you mentioned master data. What do you think are like the minimum requirements for master data? I know that maybe we can talk hours for this, but. <sighs> Depends how much you want to automate things, I would say. on Because on, on a purchasing side, you could say you add a lot of data and then you could have a whole text determination logic on the purchasing side. So your invoices would already be posted automatically by your ERP system and you would just have an account and have to look at it if everything's really correct. But you would ha or you would have a proposal of a tax code that your ERP system would say, okay, hey, this is 19% VAT. But for example, your ERP system needs to know that it's not the 19% insurance tax we have in Germany. Your, your ERP system needs to be that smart to kind of differentiate between VAT and insurance tax because that's classic thing that if you have a shared service center abroad, they deduct insurance tax as input VAT. And I think master data there, the minimum requirements on a purchasing side is difficult because it's mm -hmm. so much to kind of have the invoice logic. On the sales side, you need to know who your customer is, where your customer, I mean, is it a B2B, B2C? You need to know if it's your, the bad identification, for example, if we stay within Europe, if we say, okay, it's a customer in France, you need to have their VAT ID in France and you need to know where it's going. So if you're selling something to a French customer, it makes a difference from a VAT law perspective if they're picking it up in Germany you need to make sure it actually goes to France. Because if they're selling it in Germany, then you can't have it, have it without tax. But if you're selling it to France, it's without VAT. You need to prove that it's without VAT. You have, there's like the EU quick fixes. So there's all this like legal background behind that. So I think really knowing your customer, that's probably the main, to answer your question, what are the minimum requirements? Knowing who your customer is and knowing, yeah. I don't know if there are minimum requirements. It just totally depends on a million different things. <laughs> it really feels there is a lot of groundwork that you need to do before actually thinking, okay, we need to automate stuff. Like, seems like you need to take a lot of things into consideration, like master data, how to collect all this information from your customers. Yeah. It feels like it's a lot of work sure to, to be compliant. Yeah, you need to make sure that your customer, like, your sales team, if you have, if you're, if you're a small company when you don't have like regular customers, you have changing customers all the time. They're all B2B and you need to make sure I need their VAT ID. You need to make sure that the salesperson going there said, or it's in the contract or whatever, get that person's VAT ID because otherwise you're going to, if you create an invoice without VAT, without a VAT ID on it, you're going to have big issues. You can't, you're not allowed to do that in general. You're not allowed to do that. So you need to make sure you have it at the beginning. Otherwise you start invoicing with the VAT. And then your customer says, hey, come on, this is an inter-community within the EU. I, this should be without VAT. And then you start correcting. And then your accounting team says, hey, come on, why are you doing all this? Why are we creating two invoices and correcting? 
And then the tech team says to be compliant. And then you have all these different teams kind of not fighting, but trying to do this efficient, correct, compliant thing. And you have a lot of people which are not very happy when at the beginning, if the salesperson would have just said, hey, by the way, I need your correct that ID, everything would have been fine. And that's why I think that's why I love indirect taxes, because you're everywhere. As an indirect tax team, you're like everywhere in the company. You deal with like every, I, I don't know if there's any department I didn't deal with, like from, I would say marketing team, which because they have, they're doing some cool discount thing and that discount needs to be sure that it's correct, correct VAT treatment on that. They need to contact you with that contract, then legal team, IT teams, sales teams, procurement teams everywhere. So you know so much of the company and that's super interesting, I think. Okay. So if you wanna have, if you wanna develop your knowledge about your company, one of the best ways to do that is to work in, in direct tax. Yeah, I would say other teams probably disagree, but I would totally agree with that. <laughs> okay, it's time to wrap up. Have a like a short list of questions. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> so what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? In general, best piece yes. of advice. In like for life. Oh. It could be a could be for life. It could be also like like professional. Your okay. professional. Well, for 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 life, I would say just just listen to yourself. Don't listen to other people, and just be the way you are. I mean, that sounds cheesy, but I it, like I've always followed that, and my mom taught me that, so I've always been like that. But the I would say from a career perspective, maybe very practical advice: <laughs> don't do Outlook folders. <laughs> I don't know if that's. That's something I always tell to all my interns as well. Don't do Outlook folders and subfolders because the time people spend on saving stuff, use the search function. I have one folder in Outlook and it's called red emails and I pushed everything okay. in there. It works perfectly fine. Okay, that, that's a good one. What's your main passion outside of work? R riding my bike. <laughs> so actually, I mean, people can't see it, but here I get a bike tattooed on my arm, but it's I, don't know, I like riding my bike and I'm not like one of those crazy, I have like a racing bike and I go like 100 kilometers. It's just like a way of life. I, I, I take it everywhere. I love riding my bike. I'm totally, I think everyone who knows me is um, just, yeah, I, I always ride my bike. It doesn't matter if it's raining or snowing. I have, I, have a, I have a snow bike, which has like spikes on it. So I just, I think it's like a mindset to just not drive a car, but to ride a bike everywhere. I need to add gravel or touring. I have a normal touring bike. Okay. But I bought a mountain bike this summer, actually. I bought a carbon frame mountain bike this summer as well for, for like vacation and actually go like riding in the, here in the hills and in forest with my son because my touring bike couldn't catch up with him anymore. <laughs> he was getting too fast. What book would you recommend to our audience? What book? Oh, and I read so many books, but I don't have a good book to recommend, I would say. I don't, I'm not a big reader on like, like professional books. I don't read any of those. I read like- I Nothing read, about indirect taxes. No, actually, I, I, I listen to a lot of stuff. I read like stuff on the internet or like SAP notes or whatever, but I don't read like actual books or eBooks or whatever about any work-related stuff. I read a lot of, a lot of books. But if I would say, oh, I'd tell you kids' books. 
The, for example, the, the, the Smets and the Smooths. It's a, it's a, it's the best book ever. And I've, I've, I've given it to so many people by now. And it's, it's about, it's for children in Europe about how we should accept each other the way we are and whatever. And it's such a, it's a, that's one of my favorite books right now. I read it to my son all the time. <laughs> okay. It looks like a book that is not only for children. Sorry? It looks like a book that is not only for, for children. Yeah, no, it's not. It's, it's like, I, I know a lot of adults that like reading it, but it's, I mean, of course, it's a kid's book. If you were not a finance expert, what else would you do? You cannot say riding a bicycle. <laughs> I cannot say that. Yeah, you cannot say that. They weren't a finance expert. Oh, that's a difficult question. I don't know. I really like doing what I do. I have no idea. Because I, I always said I would like study, if I would study something else, I would study something with IT. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I would. I like thinking about it, like if only if I couldn't be a finance expert, maybe. But I think like exactly this mix of technology and finance is, is great. But what else would I do? I'd be, I don't know, I'd be like a park ranger or something. I'd work, do something outdoors and do, I, I love hiking. I love being outdoors, doing something like that, maybe. I, that, yeah. Difficult question. Park ranger, okay. And last question, is there anything in particular that, that you're learning right now? That I'm learning right now? Yeah. Like for my job, right? It could be. Yeah, yeah. okay. What am I learning right now? I'm, I'm learning more about SAP. I'm learning more about the details. I mean, I used to work in SAP with, with SAP and then I switched jobs and I, I, I the, ERP, the ERP tool was Oracle. And so I didn't have SAP for a couple of years and now I'm back with a lot of SAP projects, which I love. And I'm like, I'm, I know a lot about the details, but like, like special things like looking at like interest dot or I don't know, some with S4 HANA right now, it's everything is new. I mean, taxes don't change that much, but of course you still have a new ERP system, a different, a little bit of a different landscape. So I guess a lot about SAP. And for me now the past year, at least, having people I'm responsible for. <laughs> so actually like as a, as a manager at the at big four entities, you always have like more junior and people in your team, which you're also somewhat responsible for. And that's new for me because I was always kind of like doing my own thing. And so really learning how to guide other people and support them and developing their role and figuring out what they want to do. And maybe even saying, hey, what didn't work so well and kind of having like this, a leadership function is something I'm learning and working on because it's still rather new to me. And maybe, I mean, I have fun doing it, but it's not always the easiest task. <laughs> okay. So getting to know better your IT tools, in this case, SAP, and yeah somehow smoothing your leadership skills. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was a pleasure to have you here, Katya. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? First of all, yeah, well, awesome to talk to you as well. Very interesting. And LinkedIn, I would say LinkedIn is the best, this probably answer of everyone here, but it's definitely the best way to get in touch with me. And I'm actually quite active there and try to check up on stuff. And I'm in contact with a lot of people in indirect Texas and like the world is not so big, not like the German world is small and even the European world, you know, a lot of names and stuff. So yeah, it's good to exchange like 
special like know-how and in contacts and whatever yeah so i'm gonna put the link to your linkedin profile in the show notes thank you again for joining me today and wishing you the best thank you very much <laughs>